Hey everybody, welcome to the very first full episode of Sex in the City with me, Samantha Jones. I'm so excited to be doing this podcast where we're going to dive into all of the episodes of Sex in the City and try to answer Carrie's questions for today's modern times. I am so, so very excited about my first guest that I interviewed for episode one, Her name is Michelle. Um, She's a good friend of mine, a fellow Georgian, and we kind of really get into it with talking about women and men as equals today, Um, do nice guys finish last, and even the emergence of ghosting 20 years ago. So here we go, and I hope you enjoy. interviewing Michelle today for the first episode of Sex in the City. Um, As we talked about before, this topic is about the power of women and what they bring to the table today in modern dating. Okay, so first off, let's start with what character from Sex in the City are you coming at it with? Are you a Carrie who kind of overanalyzes her relationships? Charlotte, who is just the hopeless romantic, Samantha, who is, fuck it, let's fuck everybody, (laughs) or the Miranda, who's kind of jaded. So, I would say, just based on that, like, and based on anything, really, I'm definitely Miranda. I would kind of say, like, definitely, I agree, Carrie is overanalyzing, but I feel like Miranda does that, too. You know, she's the lawyer. She's always, like, logically thinking about things, but I feel like she does it a little more clinically, and Carrie does it more emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, Charlotte is, like, that hopeless romantic, again, so much, like, emotion-driven, and Miranda's definitely, like, none of this will work ever, so what's the point, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I'm definitely carrying this since I'm like overanalyzing. He wore a red shirt to dinner. Is this a red flag? Because he wore red. Like I overthink things to a T. Right. Like all these are all signs. Everything's a sign. Yeah. You know, and then definitely like, you know, Samantha has that carefree, very confident, very much, I guess, like they would call male view of anything sexual or romantic just kind of I'm just gonna take from a buffet what I want and keep it moving who I want to be right I mean it sounds so great but I definitely think I'm Miranda I'm sadly I don't want to say jaded that sounds so harsh but I think practical right let's go with practical practical aware you know and living from like my past experiences yeah yeah you live and you learn that's all we can hope for exactly living and learning yeah exactly so that's kind of what I'm bringing I guess okay so what I love about this episode is that we're talking about is Carrie opens with the story about this couple who meets they're so into each other and then they Three weeks in, they're, like, looking at apartment homes together, and I feel like this episode is the first instance of modern-day ghosting. Yes, exactly. Like, they're looking at apartments one day, he wants her to meet the mother, and then all of a sudden, he's gone. What is your take on this? 
I mean, other than guttural, I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> I feel like the Miranda in me immediately is like, obviously this was going to happen. You guys started too fast. You did too much too soon. What else were you expecting? But also when it happens to me personally, I'm always surprised, you know? I'm yeah. like, wait, I thought that we had this vibe. I had thought we had this connection. And then all of a sudden, literally, this person never existed to me, to anyone else. And it's all been a figment of my imagination. It's just, it's, I mean, it makes you want to just stop the whole thing altogether, I feel like. It makes me want to give up on dating altogether. But then it's also comforting. It's like, oh, this has been happening for 20 years and we just have a term for it now. Blows my mind, right? Like, it's literally been going on. I mean, in the show, I feel like they keep talking like, oh, well, he never called me back. And that's their ghosting. And I feel like it's so different because it all revolves around a phone call. Whereas now you get so many different fronts of aggressive denial and and ignoring. It's like, it's Instagram, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's telephones, it's calling, it's texting. And every front you're just like denied communication. And it's like, okay, I get the point. That's aggressive. You don't, you exist somewhere, but not to me anymore. I got it. Yeah. Thank you for um, ignoring me on multiple fronts, not just with your mother. Right. I appreciate your consistency. Like, thank you so much for that. Yeah. It's so hard. It's just like, I never know. I thought it was like my fault, you know, like, oh, where's this coming from? What did I do? But then I do think about it. It's like, no, this has been happening forever. Men do this all the time. Women do it too. You know, I don't want to single anyone out, but people just kind of find like a sly way out of things. And it's almost comforting in a way. Yeah. Oh, it's not me. Like, thank God everyone else is experiencing this before they were even dating. Right. And you could ghost me that much easier. Like, no, people were actually ghosting 20 years All ago. All the time, right? We're not the first to be ghosted. We're the first to give it an actual term. Right, exactly. We're so literary, we need the vocab for it, you know? But we're not the first ones it's happened to, for sure. Yeah. Where do you think ghosting comes from? Do you think... Okay, so in this episode, Carrie declares Manhattan as the end of love. Right. And she also kind of talks about the power dynamic of... This is the first time women can have kind of had equal power, equal money to the men. And does that play into ghosting as to women can take care of themselves and it's a new dynamic shift for men? Where does this struggle come in? Oh, for sure. I think we've just upset all gender norms. You know, before it was like, here's a mold for men go out you provide and whether that means you're hunting or you're going to like bring home the bacon same thing really (laughs) but like you know you're bringing them the money and then women you stay home you nurture and you like pick the berries I don't know what that modern equivalent would be but you know they're just these gender guidelines that we all prescribe to and now it's changing and now it's like great Men can go and work. Women can go and work. Maybe not for the same dollar, but we're still out there. And it's just like, okay, now that all the things I used to get and need from a man, I can get on my own. It's about what do I want from a man? What do I want from a partner? And that's changing a little bit. And I feel like that's creating this like pressure to be like, oh, something that you should be. And everyone's a people pleaser a little bit. 
And when we can't please that person, I feel like that's when people just kind of fade into the night and just like completely ghost out of life. It's like, I don't, I can't fit this expectation or I don't like your expectation. And instead of me just saying that, like, this isn't going to work or we're not compatible or we want different things or we fill different roles, people just completely ghost out of your life. Yeah, I definitely feel like, I feel like there's a miscommunication and a disconnect between as a male being the providers as to women being able to provide on their own because quite frankly, one of my pet peeves is when you're talking to a man and they want to be like, oh, just come out tonight. I'll buy you a drink. Uh. I'm like, buy me a $7 drink. Thank (laughs) you. That is what is keeping me home tonight. Like, where is the disconnect happening as to, like, successful women who can buy their own drink (laughs) that you are offering them tonight versus kind of you providing for them? Because is that kind of nature versus nurture as to, Mm. like, where that happens and to how that evolution has taken place? Yeah, and I feel like that's hard for some men, right? Like... There used to be able to say, this is how I show you I can provide. I can take you out for a drink. I can take you out for a meal. I can literally feed you, right? And now it's like, I remember the Destiny's Child song, Miss Independent. Like, I got this. (laughs) I can do it. And now men are like, okay, so what do I offer? And they're having to think about new things that they have to bring to the table, right? Like, they're not just providing us with food and beverage. It's like, give me some type of, like, stimulation like either emotionally or intellectually and then they're just kind of like uh huh you know like yeah they're having to search for it but, but I think it's confusing them you know and just no one knows where they're lying now they're at a loss as to what can I offer right so do you think women are supposed to play by the typical rules in this aspect as to successful women aren't desired like 20 years ago to today I would say even more today, it's like slightly more accepted, but are we still expected to be something to the man that's a little more typical by those standard rules that they can kind of take care of and lean on versus providing for ourselves and no, we don't need you to buy that dinner or that drink. Right. Like I think honestly us as millennials, we're on the cusp of changing norms changing expectations and that's why it's so difficult for us because we are a new frontier right like you know there are some women who want to fill the historically classic role of woman and same for men and that's great because for as many different people as there are in life are as many different ways as there are to live this life yeah nothing wrong with that nothing wrong at all but now there is a space created for people, for women and men who want to kind of break those norms and say, okay, I'm a self-sufficient, successful woman, and I'm looking for something different and a man than what history has shown me is a man. So, or a partner in general. And so I think that it's difficult navigating that territory, trying to figure out what is that I'm looking for? What does that look like? And it's just kind of making everyone confused. So there's definitely a place for how things have been because those are real people. Those are real people's wants and needs. But now there's also like, great, now that I can do all these things that I needed a man for, that I needed a partner for, I'm looking for someone to offer me more 
and offer me different than what I'm already providing for myself. Do you think this makes women come off as too picky and too critical? And a lot of men see that as, oh, she's being too picky because she wants someone less balding. She wants (laughs) someone less overweight. Whereas it's, no, I want someone who can be my equal and accept that. Not being too picky in the uh, kind of just stereotypical sense. Right. I think, like, yes and no. I think overwhelmingly yes. It's like, you. we all get the questions. Like, how are you still single? You're so beautiful. You're so smart. And it sounds like a compliment, but really it's just like a stab in the back. Like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you have someone? And I think that's kind of the issue here. It's like, oh, well, you must be too picky. Your standards must be too high. As opposed to I have a really fulfilling life. I have a really supportive group of friends. I have a really strong family. I have a really great job. I have really amazing like hobbies or activities and I feel very fulfilled. And now we're going to add the cherry on top that is relationship. I feel like people get confused. People start to think that having a relationship or a marriage is an entitlement. You're entitled to it. It's a right. It's like something that you automatically get by being born. You have a soulmate that you will find and be with. And I honestly think in the way that we all talk about it, it's a privilege. It's an honor and it's an amazing blessing to find someone that you match with so wonderfully and then can spend the rest of your life with as a partner. And so I feel like when people say you're being too picky and too having too high of standards, it's really them just saying your life is too fulfilling and now you want something more. Whereas before, lives weren't that well-rounded. Lives weren't that, like, you know, different arenas weren't as filled as highly as they are now. And so people could be less picky because they just want someone to pretty much, like, take care of them when they get old and die. But now we've created more social networks, more supportive networks. And I think that it says it's like we're too picky, but that's just like a wrong verbiage. That's not the right word to say. It's just we're more focused on what we want. And hopefully that means, well, I know that means statistically people are getting married at lower rates. But hopefully it also means people are going to get divorced at lower rates also. Exactly. I think people now, especially women... You're able to have your own career. You're able to have your own friends. You don't rely on your husband, your partner for that. So you're kind of more fulfilled and you're not settling is the thing. You are looking for someone who is your equal. And I think that's kind of what marriage is. I don't want to say lacking in the past because I know there's people who have been married for decades and decades and are very happy but I will say in the millennial generation people want someone more they can relate to and who understand them and I think it's just kind of a different dynamic where people come from into what they're looking for we are not looking for someone to take care of us because we are taking care of ourselves we are looking to someone who can you know kind of be our counterpart equally and challenge us intellectually and there's nothing wrong with that right and I remember like a couple of years ago, hearing some question somewhere, it's like, oh, well, would you rather have someone want you or someone need you? And I remember I was younger, I mean, it's early 20s, and it was so like a romantic time. I was like, oh, I want them to need me. I want them to need my existence in their life for them to function properly. And then it wasn't until maybe a couple of years ago that I realized, wait, that's horrible, because that's a form of addiction, right? Mm-hmm. There's no choice in need. 
And then I realized, oh, I want someone to want me because that means they're going to choose to be with me every day. That means it's something that they are voluntarily wanting to give to me and to get from me. And in that, like, voluntariness is something so much more fulfilling than just, like, wait, I have to have this person. I just have to. I can't imagine life without them. Like, I think that's nice, but also I think there's something really wonderful and just the ability to say, I would be fine on my own, but I choose to have you in my life every day. Yeah, it's not It's not almost a debilitating kind of need. It's right. like a want. It's like, I choose you. I want you. You make me a better person. And I think that's kind of the beautiful thing about relationships is I don't, you know, I don't need you. It's I want you because you make me feel like I want to be the best version of myself possible. Exactly. And I, I kind of think that's where we're at these days and to what couples have realized is that's why you choose somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of beautiful. And I will say, um, not that because my name is Samantha Jones, but because <laughs> I do respect her as a character on Sex and the City, her, her kind of demeanor is her confidence into yeah. how she chooses to live her life and it's not a necessity it's not a need it's a want and she's I want this life this is what I choose um and this is kind of this is how I want to live it and it's really like the courage to go forward in life following what you want it takes a lot of courage to do what you want and not what you think you should do and yeah. not what you know because especially being from the south as we are yeah what we should do is settle down in our mid-20s and have babies by late 20s and be full-on mothers of three by our 30s, you know. And that's not always what we want or what's in line for us. And she has never played into that. And I respect her character so much for that as to how, despite being judged, despite any other opposing view, she is who she is and it's not... You know, I love, you know, Charlotte for who she is as yeah. to her, her hopeless romantic, but that's almost kind of the norm Charlotte plays into. Right. As to you're expected to get married, you're expected to do this, and Samantha is just like, I want to have fun, and that's very admirable. It's who she is, right? And I think it's interesting, too, that they did on the show with Charlotte. She followed all the rules, and she met her first husband, Trey, and they got married, and it didn't really work out. Sorry if it's a spoiler alert. <laughs> but, and then it's funny because I think she even says at one point, I followed all the rules. I did everything right. And this isn't working out. And I think that just highlights how you have to follow your own truisms. You have to be true to yourself to get what you want and not settle down into what you think is the, you know, white picket fence and 2.5 children that the statistics say you should have, you know? Yeah. And I will say, you know, this show kind of aired 20 years ago. And so Mm. I think it may have been harder to break from the norms at that point in time. But I think this kind of was a groundbreaking show in the sense that it's showing that women can have different views as to what they want. For sure. And it was definitely the first time women were making money on their own. They can afford their own apartments. They don't need the man. Yeah. And as to... How does the power of a woman affect, you know, dating in this time? And are they on a power trip or is it kind of a legitimate reason as to them being able to make their own choices? 
I actually think that's hilarious because this is such a relevant issue for me. I mean, so I'm a lawyer, hence me identifying with Miranda even more. <laughs> and it's just such, it's still 20 years later, such a crazy thing to be on a date with someone. And if your job hasn't come up, comes up on the date and you tell them and I get the benefit of seeing their facial expression when I say, oh, I'm a trial lawyer doing corporate law. Literally jaws dropping and not in admiration, not in inspiration, but kind of like, oh God. And I immediately feel like they think like, oh, she's going to be like a ball buster. Like, oh, she's going to have these super high expectations I can't meet. But there's something in their face that just reads, this is going to be trouble. And it's just... I don't know. It's it's really disheartening to see that being like, oh, great. I'm so proud of what I've done. And I'm so happy that I've been able to accomplish what I've been able to accomplish. And then sharing that with someone who you think would maybe hopefully be a partner in life. And they're just completely like demoralized by it. They are. They write you off as difficult. Exactly. And they just immediately are like, oh, well, this is going to be a tough one. I'm like, do I need to dumb myself down like should I like be twirling my hair or something because that's gonna be easier for you to placate like I just it blows my mind that that's still not accepted now and they were dealing with the same thing 20 years ago in the show with having to have successful women try and date in the city and it was still an obstacle then and it's pretty much like not maybe not so much of an obstacle but it's still an issue now for sure it is still an issue I kind of feel like I also work in a corporate environment, and I almost feel like you have to prove yourself twice as much in this environment because you come in and you're a woman, and they just expect you to kind of be the assistant, the secretary, yeah. and they're not expecting like what you can be and what you're capable of. Right. Like, they're just not expecting greatness from you, basically. You know, like, there's so many times I'll be in, like, a courthouse or I'll be with other colleagues and they immediately think that you're right like I'm the secretary I'm the paralegal I'm like nope I'm the lawyer representing the client like you can talk to me about the issues and there's even in that atmosphere there's still this kind of like wave of oh no really like little shock yeah. goes over their face and it's just it's frustrating I'm sadly used to it at this point and it does become at least in a professional way like I'm kind of like yes I am here, we're doing it, like, women are taking back the night, you know, yeah. like, and it's a point of pride, but then translating that to romantic, the atmosphere, that's harder as well, and that's where it's just kind of, just more like, oh, I wish I was with someone who, again, was on my same level, we were equally going forward into things, but it's just like, okay, great, I have to, you know, again, make up for the fact that, yeah, I'm smart, but I'm not going to be a ball buster. Like, I'm a yeah. human, too, you know? It's frustrating. I kind of personally love being underestimated. Yeah. Because I kind of love almost checking people. It's like, you think I'm kind of here as an assistant to take notes, and it's like, I'm going to stop you right here, and I'm going to tell you that's not going to happen. This right. is your project, and that's not how things work. Like, right. You have great ideas, but I'm going to bring you back to reality as to how this process is going to go. Yeah. And I love nothing more than that when you realize I am your equal. I've been through this. I understand it. I am your counselor. And so come at me with this with like an equal sense of opportunity and we can walk you through this. And I love when people realize that 
and they start coming to me for the opinions mm. because I realize I look young and maybe you don't think I have the experience, but I have been through this. Right. And so Welcome. I just want to check you really quick. <laughs> let's let's be honest. <laughs> right, exactly. And I, I do that moment's amazing, right? Yeah. You're like I am woman, hear me roar, type yeah. thing, you know. I'm going to stop you right here and tell you what's actually going to happen like, while I you go through I hear that's it. how you feel, but what's going to happen, yes, no, it's amazing. But then, like, how do you feel, like, that that translates? Do you have the same feeling with that when you're dating? Like, with, is it the same realization that you feel like you have with people, or is it different? I feel like I like to come in dating as I do almost with working like from I don't believe in putting on a front for the first date I understand a lot of people it takes one to two days to understand who they are but I very much want to go into that first date as to what you see is what you get I don't want to censor this for you I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to waste my time 100% so let's be real I am that quirky girl who is going to ask you random questions and try to check you and challenge you let's go yes 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 I love that that's great so do you ever just because I'm generally curious but do you ever get like pushback there or do you ever get like ignorant responses or I feel like sometimes some people will try, you know, to check or to challenge or to do that witty dance and do the back and forth, but then they're just, like, unassuming that they just don't really know what they're saying or they don't really know what they're talking about, but they're still trying to stay on your level. Do you ever find that people, like, try to stay on your level and they're just failing, or do they overcompensate and then get kind of douchey about it? I think people can definitely kind of get douchey about it. Yeah. Um, I will say one of my pet peeves for dating people is when, um, they're just overly complaining about things Mm. on dates and they just want to whine and whine and whine or is when they do decide they want to check me and it's like, they're just not there intellectually, um, which I don't want to put guys down for that, but I just mean they want to try to argue with me, but they don't bring a valid point to the situation. I I very much don't want to win every fight. Like, I am fine to bring up points and someone bring up a counterpoint and challenge me. Um, I appreciate that. I respect it. It's, like, kind of a turn-on for me. You can put me in my place, like, by all means. Right, yeah. And so, like, when you say check me, I feel like I feel the same way. It's just, like, let's have a discussion of equally matched wits, right? Yeah. Let's have, like, someone come to me knowledgeably and, you know, don't just let me run the show and be this effervescent person that I am, right? But also just, you know, have some substance behind you and let's be able to have, like, an intellectual discussion or just, like, a really fun, witty repartee and it's not just me entertaining myself, right? Yeah. I feel the same way and it's just definitely... It's fun and fulfilling and eye-opening to see, like, oh, this person knows things that I don't know. Because I feel like in that, you're like, great, we can now share with each other new things, right? Experiences, facts, whatever it is. I don't mind someone telling me I'm wrong. You know, you're not taking into consideration X, Y, Z. It does not bother me one bit. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't. Like, while I try to, like, understand different viewpoints and aspects of a situation, that doesn't mean I have considered them all. And if you want to bring different 
to the table, like, by all means, please do it. Right. Tell me what you think. Like, I definitely love that. But I will say, though, um, when, if and when someone tries to, you know, have this dialogue and discussion and is either ill-prepared or disrespectful or condescending, that's when I'm like, oh, you've got to go. Like, I'm all for having heated discussions. Exactly. I'm all for having eye-opening, different perspectives, everything. But if you are going to be condescending towards me, if you're going to treat me like I'm somehow an idiot because I don't know how things that you were talking about or anything like that, or because you use the word obviously a lot, which means that I should know it, but it's an obscure fact and you're just trying to put me down. Not going to be here for that. That's not that's not what I think is an exchange of ideas. And I don't... I think that's like a character trait that I'm, I can't really get behind that. Yeah. Condescending is like my number one. Absolutely not. Like, do not talk to me like I am a child. Right. Exactly. Like, I don't care if you have different viewpoints. You can present them in a valid way. Right. Such as like, oh, have you considered blah, blah, blah? Have you read XYZ study that kind of talks about this and maybe I have maybe I haven't but do not be condescending right it's like when they're kind of like oh well obviously this is wrong because this is the truth and it's like well obviously no because I just said the opposite of that so don't don't pretend like I'm an idiot you know and like my thoughts are always valid I feel like but I'm fully into expanding my horizons always I'm open to my expanding my horizons but also I'm not the kind of person who is going to present a viewpoint to you that I haven't read on that I haven't Mm. that I don't feel like I have substantial backing to as to present that to somebody and I feel like a lot of people are headlines people Uh and they want to come at you with the headlines versus I feel like maybe I'm a headline person (laughs) yeah yeah, because, I mean, reading is hard. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> no, I feel like I, there are definitely things, issues in the world. There are so, I mean, this sounds dumb, but there are a lot of issues. And we're expected to have an opinion on every single issue exactly. we're presented with. We are. And that's a really high-pressure circumstance to be in, I feel like. So, you know, you're trying to formulate an opinion based off two granules of information, and that's difficult. And there's no situation where it's okay to be like, oh, I don't have an opinion on that. I think that's an absurd thing to say, even though I'm probably that person most of the time. Like, I don't have an opinion on that because I don't know enough about it. But I try and form opinions, and I try and become more well-read or more well-aware of things, but it is really hard to keep up. So I do definitely will be, I will be the person in the situation to say, oh, yeah, you know, this is just my gut instinct. This is my gut yeah. reaction. If someone presents a situation or hypothetical or whatever, I'll say, this is my gut reaction. Maybe I don't have, you know, anything to back it up. But I'll just say, you know, as Michelle living my life for X amount of years, <laughs> we don't need to name the years, <laughs> as me living my life, this is how I feel about it. And the, and I will openly admit that, though. I won't say, I won't pretend to be more knowledgeable about a thing than I am. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like I'm exactly the same way as to like, well, I haven't read much on that situation. Right. This is how I feel from what I've seen. But before I give you my full on opinion, I would like to look into it more. Right. Or like, tell me, what else, what what do you read about it? What do you know? What have you heard? I'm open to hearing that. Right. And I will say, I feel like as soon as people know I'm a lawyer, they automatically want to go against whatever I'm saying. I feel like it's like a fun 
thing for people to do. I'm unsure, but it does happen often. And it's kind of like whenever I say A, they're like, oh, well, negative A. I'm like, first of all, letters can't have negative, so boom, you lost. <laughs> but no, I do feel like they always automatically want to go against what I'm saying, and it's that's fine. But again, we go back into the condescending and just like, do you know what you're talking about thing? But I do love like that heated discussion, you know, and if there's ever anyone who can do this, you know, literary tango, super into it. Yeah. You know, I don't have to be right. It's At that point, it's not about who's right, who's wrong. It's just about the dance, if you will, you know, and I feel like that is an immediate weed out factor for me. Like I can tell on a first date within 20 minutes if this person will be able to do this dance with me or not. Oh, I love it. I think it's so hot. And may I just say... As a lawyer and a lobbyist, I think we may be the most hated jobs <laughs> that there are in America. So right. come at us. Um, we are always down for a discussion oh, and an argument. Yeah. Let me be clear. My clients provide me with plenty of talking points. So let's go. <laughs> You're ready one to go. One on one. <laughs> to the mattresses. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um. Probably least like people in America. But anyways, on to a different note. Yeah. Moving from the hate. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So do you think there is kind of a connotation with guys as to nice guys finish last, though? Because they're less likely to be argumentative. They're less likely to challenge you and put you in your place. Right. And I actually think that's 100% true. But, like, who says last place is the worst place? And I know that sounds wrong, right? Like, oh, well, you want to be first. Like, ask any racer. But, like, I mean, in my mind, it could also be last place is the best place because you're the last person to be with the girl. You're the last person to be with that person. And then it's you two riding out into the sunset. You know what I mean? I feel like, you know, people date the nice guy when they're younger and they don't know better because they're a nice guy. But then they're like, I want the bad boy. I want the guy in the leather on the motorcycle or whatever. I don't know. And then they're like, wait, that was dumb. That was hard. That was rude. That was disrespectful. That was unfulfilling. Any any of these adjectives. And then they go back to the nice guy. Like, you always go back to the nice guy. And maybe that's why... It's rough because the nice guy has to wait, but so does the nice girl. The yeah. nice girl has to weed through all of these losers and all of these wastes of time, all of these pretending nice guys, until she gets to her nice guy, and then they both get to finish last. It is 100% the tortoise and the hare, as to the hare being the bad boy that all the girls think they want, and yeah. then go back to the tortoise and, and as to why didn't I want you in the first place? Because this is so uncomplicated. Exactly. And it's literally actually the hair and the tortoise, tortoise and hair, fit perfectly with the example for women where it's like, oh, that's a fast girl, right? Like from what, the 1950s or something? Like, oh, that girl, she goes really fast. It's like, oh, well, she's a little loosey-goosey. Because no one marries the fast girl, you know? No one marries the fast boy either, even though women are better at turning hoes into housewives than men are. But But I will say that, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, you know, when you're younger and, like, all these hormones are flowing and you're just doing the legwork to see what do you like, what do you not like, you know, emotionally and maybe even physically. And then at the end you realize, great. This is what I want. I want this nice guy who's going to treat me nice. He's going to be, like, wonderful and sweet to me. And the guys want the same thing. They want some woman who's going to support them and be with them and take care of them, you know? I feel like nice 
guys lose until they don't. And it's like, come on, come on and ride it out because eventually she's going to come around and realize what have I been waiting on for the bad guy. It's like, you're not going to change him, sweetheart. Right. Every girl thinks that. You are not going to be the one to change him. Ever. Just stop right now. Ever. I feel like the nice guys are jackpots. You sit at the slot machine and, you know, you're just putting in quarters. Or, like, I guess the guys are putting in quarters. I'm not exactly sure if I've worked this out yet. But it's a gambling metaphor, and their quarter's going in until all of a sudden the guy wins big with the jackpot because that's when he has finally gotten this person or this, you know, someone who sees him for as he is and, like, appreciates it, and he wins big. And I feel like that's what is finishing last because there might be other people who are winning at blackjack or winning at craps, but those are the people that go home negative because the house always wins. And then this nice guy, he wins on the slot machine because he's put in the time he stayed true to himself, and he's, like, been decent. And then he wins the jackpot in the end. He is who he is. And I think, like, at the end of the day, like, dating, that's all you can do is be who you are. And, like, it's going to pay off in the end. Like, I know it's frustrating, but it does pay off in the end. Yeah. Like, the nice guy, the nice girl, the girl who's been on, like, 1,800,000 bad dates. Right. The Charlotte. The (laughs) Charlotte. Charlotte. Exactly. The hopeless romantic who still believes in it. At the end of the day, we're all Charlotte. And that's what we're holding out for is that nice guy. So have faith. Yeah. And actually, it works out for, like, all of them. They all get what they want, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because even Miranda, my jaded self, (laughs) like, after pushing away, you know, like, ends up how she's meant to end up, you know? Yeah. I could take that. My Carrie, she ends up with her complicated, twisted relationship with Mr. Big. Right. Yeah. But it's, like, what she wants. She wants the complicated, but it works out for her in the end, you know? And I think that goes also into, like, expectations and settling down and everything because we are bombarded by family, media, friends about what these cookie-cutter expectations are that we're supposed to want. And I think that's what's so great about the show is that they set out these four very different women and these four very different pathways of happiness and things that they want. And then at the end, it all comes to fruition where it's not classical. It's not, oh, this Disney princess ends up with the Disney prince. But it's like they each find their own happiness in the way that they wanted it to come true. It's all a very different happiness and they all take their own path and like, Yes, they present a messy path along the way, but it shows that no path is necessarily wrong for each person, which is kind of beautiful, um, kind of ugly in the meantime, but what do you expect? But that's life, right? Life is the ugly bits, you know? It's like, there's always that saying, it's like, oh, life is what happens between the pictures that you post. Or maybe I made that up. It's the journey, not the destination. Right. Don't cry because it happens, smile, or whatever it is. But yeah, it's all the in-between times. There's growth in that. There's beauty in that. There's happiness. Not in that, but at the end of that. It's the things you don't see on social media, people. Yes. It's all of that that you don't see on social media. Exactly. Let me be clear about that. Exactly. And, like, it's those trying times, those hard times, those messy times that get you to the good times, that get you in those pictures, you know? Like, it's all the other stuff that you don't see that's so important as a building block to get to the true happiness, I feel like. I agree 100%. 
Chicago face. And I promise to show all of you the ugly times <laughs> in between. Maybe me crying on the bathroom floor. We will see. Oh, God. <laughs> been there many a time. Many a time. We've been there. Um, so stay tuned. Oh my gosh, Sam, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. I love talking sex in the city with you.